up to that next level. And then once I'm, you know, publishing on the websites of these other authors who are already on these major websites, I know that the editors are already looking at their content and that's where it's easy to make an introduction. Welcome back to Young Smart Money with me, your host, Apple Kreider. Today, we're sitting down with Eric Bach, the founder of Bach Performance to talk about his experience building a brand in the fitness space. Okay, Eric is somebody who's doing huge things both on the B2B and B2C side of things in the fitness space. So today in this episode, we're sitting down, we're talking about transformations, we're talking about building confidence, and we're talking about breaking out in the fitness space. Okay, we're covering the things that you need to implement, the mindsets and the tactical skills that you need to implement if you want to both build a brand for yourself, but then also we're gonna dive specifically into the fitness space. So whether you are interested in learning more about the fitness space and what it takes to actually succeed there or what it just takes to succeed, grow a brand and find a way to kickstart your journey and get ahead of the other people in whatever industry you are in. This is a perfect episode for you. Okay. Eric goes very tactical. He really shares a lot in this interview that I don't think he's ever shared before. Okay, guys. So I want you guys to sit back. I want you to relax and I want you to really digest this information. Okay. Eric does not hold back. Okay. This dude goes deep. So I want you guys to really enjoy this episode of Young Smart Money, whether you're walking the dog whether you are commuting to work, whatever you are doing right now, sit back, relax, plug in, and enjoy this episode. All right, Eric, welcome to Young Smart Money. How are you doing today? I'm incredible. How are you? I am doing just fantastic. Super stoked to be here with you speaking today. Um, our listeners got to hear a little bit about you in the intro, but for those of them that aren't familiar with what you are currently doing right now and who you are, could you give us a quick like 60-second intro as to what you're currently up to right now? Yeah, my name is Eric Bach. I run Bach Performance. We're an online coaching platform where we help busy professionals look great naked without living in the gym. That's a little tagline. Gets a lot of people to come in and uh, we tend to work with a lot of young professionals, entrepreneurs, lawyers, attorneys, so on and so forth. Uh, and then we also have a coaching business where we work with fitness professionals who are looking to add the online component directly into their already present business. So uh, we have some B2B and then some B2C type, uh, type of businesses that we both run here. I love it. I love it. And there's there's a lot to unpack there. So I'm super stoked to dive into it. But the place I like to start with all guests is sort of talking about their early upbringing. I mean, most of the listeners to this show are going to be 18 to 25 years old. And I think it's really applicable to them if they can hear a little bit about where you sort of got started. So talk to us about middle school and high school. Were you somebody that took school very seriously? Were you involved in sports? Were you getting involved with entrepreneurship? What did that look like for you? Yeah, I mean, really for me, you know, I got started everything began for me from the fitness industry. So, you know, for me, I was a small kid growing up. Uh, I was one of the last kids to really grow up in terms of, you know, physical maturity, so on and so forth, but I always loved sports. Uh, but unfortunately, everything really came to a head. One day, I remember in football practice, I believe about 14 years old, about 103 pounds soaking wet. And uh, I had a teammate who decided to run through me instead of running around me during practice. And I remember feeling completely completely overwhelmed, completely embarrassed by the fact that I couldn't stand my ground. I was getting taunted all the way to the end zone. And for me, that was really a moment where it was like, you know, my face was flushed. I was nervous. I, you know, I almost wanted to cry. And uh, I, I just remember feeling just so helpless in my body and things that I could not really control at that point. And I kind of, at that point, I had a coach that grabbed me by the, by the arm and said, Hey, just come up with me up to the gym. Uh, we're going to start working on a couple of different things and really start building a work ethic through the gym. And luckily my body caught up and um, really that work ethic really helped me obviously fall in love with the fitness industry and really got me started just understanding that the things that you can grow from when you're transforming your body, when you take control of your health and when you start to build these habits into your day-to-day -day habits, how that can really help you transform in so many different ways. So, you know, long story short, you know, I had a growth spurt, had this work ethic, 
um, you know, became a pretty good athlete, but unfortunately had some injuries, knocked me out in college. So when I was in college, I was, uh, uh, I was about 19 years old here. I, I'd stopped playing football at this point, um, but I was really inter- interested in strength and conditioning and getting kind of a head start in terms of everybody else where they were professionally. So really, I just dug in and asked, uh, asked the different professors, hey, what can I do to help these sports teams? How can I start getting involved early on? How can I start putting in the hours and truly getting to that place where I want to be professionally and get a head start? And getting that experience now while a lot of other people were going out having a great time during college. I mean, I was still doing those things, don't get me wrong, but how could I, you know, take what I was supposed to do and go up another level so I'd have that kickstart once I got out of college. So, you know, with that, you know, I'd, like I said, I had built a work ethic and I had a ton of experience. I was working with collegiate teams, uh, you know, when I was 20 years old, 21 years old, 22 years old. And now I look back and I, I just turned 30, what, uh, Friday, no, Saturday. And wow, I look back and birthday. Like, yeah, thank you. Thank you. I've been in this industry more or less 11 years. So being able to get that work in at a young age and really put in the hours really allowed me to take that next step directly with my business. So, you know, that's really how everything got started for me though. I was, you know, I was insecure. I wasn't happy with, uh, with what I saw in the mirror, what I was capable of doing, you know, physically and the work ethic I built in the gym just really helped me understand what I can truly control when I put my mind to it and I put in the work on a daily basis. And, you know, from there with, um, you know, the fitness business started grow, growing from that point. Um, I just started writing about, you know, what, uh, what my clients were struggling with and trying to provide them with solutions to the problems that they had and uh, just kept working with different coaches and everything just kept on growing. And pretty soon I know the coaches reaching out to me saying, Eric, holy shit, like how the hell did you get to this point? You're in your mid twenties right now. I have no idea how to do any of this stuff. Um, and that really, you know, became the groundwork for my B2B coaching, my, my mentorship program. And, um, you know, long story short, that's kind of how we are here today. I love it. So talk to us a little bit about that decision that you made that you wanted to sort of kickstart your career and get ahead of, of sort of the peers around you. Because like you said, a lot of people in college are content with just like going out on the weekends, um, turning Thursday, Friday, Wednesday into the weekend and just consistently going out for the entire week. So what yeah. made you want to sort of take action and, and, and pursue the thing that you wanted to pursue instead of just taking those, those four, maybe even five years to just like sit back and chill? Yeah, you know, really what it was was I just had such a passion for it. I, I just wanted to learn as much as I could. So between classes, you know, I'd be reading blogs and websites and books and email lists and different things that, you know, were targeted towards me because you know, a lot of really what, what drove me to the beginning was to try to fix this problem that I had, this, this, you know, lack of comfort in my own skin with my own performance and being able to build up that knowledge base and continue to get better. And then when I started making that migration from, you know, what I was doing personally for, for sports and for my own physique, it became, what are the problems that other people are having? And I, I still had that same kind of burning desire, you know what I mean, from that same pain point that I had to really just understand on a, on a deeper, deeper level. Um, again, you know, when it came to, you know, going out on weekends, uh, of course, I love to do all that stuff. But I was told, you know, especially when I was in college, if I handle my shit Monday through Friday and Friday night comes, I can have fun. I can let loose a little bit as long as I maybe do a workout or do something proactive on the weekends. You know, I can still have my cake and eat it too, so to speak, in terms of, you know, having that work-life balance, because I know that's a struggle, especially when you're getting started and when you have a lot of your peers who, you know, that might look at you and say, hey, you know, why are you pushing so hard here? Or why don't you just lay back? Why don't you come out on, on Wednesday? It's Mug Club or whatever's going on. So, <laughs> Okay, so talk to us a little bit about now, have you always been somebody that has been passionate about helping other people? Or is that something that sort of developed over time as you have gotten more into fitness and, and seen the ways that you can benefit other people with that? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say, you know, my passion for it really came out of fixing, you know, myself first, sure. right? Like, what was I struggling with? And I think it's one of those things where 
it gets very difficult to see where does passion come from? Does it come from skill? Does yeah. it come from just having that passion in the beginning? And for me, it was, I had to develop the skill of being able to help myself before I could really put the same message out to be able to help others. Um, in hindsight, you know, from a marketing perspective, it's like, yes, you want to be able to show people that you've been on that same journey. Um, but really, you know, it came from just thinking if I'm having the same issues and these same problems, there's so many people in the world, there have to be other people who have these same questions and the same problems. So if I bring them on, my, them on that same journey, it's going to be helpful. But yeah, you know, it really all came from trying to, you know, trying to learn more about myself and try to get myself to that next level. And pretty soon became aware that a lot of other people had the same struggles that I did. Okay. So what would you tell a listener right now, maybe like 16, 17, 18 years old who has a passion, maybe they're passionate about like architecture or gardening. Maybe it's fitness. Maybe it's, maybe it's social media and they've been putting it into practice for a while, but they're not sure if they're ready to like go out there and actually teach other people because clearly there's, there's, there's kind of a gap between like doing it yourself and then showing other people how to do it. So what would you tell that person as far as thinking about when it's time to transition into teaching um, in addition to sort of being a practitioner? Yeah, most definitely. You know, I would say the most important thing would be listen to your audience and people who are maybe interacting with what you with what you have to with what you have to say already. What type of questions are are they asking? Uh, for me, when it came to moving into that pivoting into that business to business aspect, it was you know listening to to people with the same questions that I had in the beginning mm -hmm. and providing that same help. If I would have just tried to jump in without necessarily having a lot of feedback from people who are already asking me for the service or product, I probably would have spent six to 12 months at least having to do client research. And at that point, it can be very difficult to maintain that momentum, especially when you're young, especially when you're getting started, especially if you're bootstrapping. So I think a lot of times what it's going to come down to is listening to the people that you want to be able to help, whether that's your peers, whether that's um, people who are asking you questions when you're out at dinner, what should I eat in terms of fitness stuff, right? You know, what type of questions are they asking? Can you simply start providing value in that direction? When you start to get some, you know, some traction in that regard, that's when the pivot becomes easy because you already know precisely what your audience wants to know, what people want to have, what problem they have that you need to be able to solve. And when you have that in tow, it becomes so much easier to make that pivot into the teaching role. Hmm. Do you have any good ways to like solicit those questions out of your audience or out of the people that you're looking to help? Yeah, I mean, some of it's going to happen organically for sure. But, mm -hmm. you know, from there, just honestly, if you have people that are already asking you, I mean, say if you're on social media, right? Sure. Um, obviously, you know, you can throw out some different questions as it comes to, I believe, what, 10,000 followers is, uh, is on an Instagram business account when you can start actually doing a Q&A type session. But mm -hmm. just putting out questions in your stories, asking them on social media, just keeping them clear cut and concise and finding out how does your audience speak? What exactly are they, how, how are they describing their problem and their words? And then being able to more or less recite those words back to them, show them that you care, and then being able to provide a compelling answer that's going to provide value on the front end. When you provide that value on the front end, it can come back in spades on the back end. Absolutely. And at this point in time, you, like you're saying, you have this B2B side of your business where you were sort of like a mentor to these other coaches. When you were starting off in this space, did you have any mentors, any people that you really looked up to that were sort of showing you the path that you should follow? Or was it really just trial and error? Like you said, like looking at these different resources, reading between classes, what did that look like for you? Yeah, I mean, it definitely started just trying to handle as much on my own as I could. But mm -hmm. once I got to that point, there's so much information out there right now that it becomes almost impossible to truly decide what direction do I need to take. Yeah. You know, just from a you know coaching perspective, trying to build a business, do I need to focus on an email list? How about Instagram? How about Facebook? You know, what are the metrics do I need to be on YouTube? Having all these different answers and so many things in different directions can make it almost impossible for you to be able to take action. So I believe at the beginning, you know, obviously you need to be reading, you need to be doing research and letting your passion drive that education. But on the, on the uh, kind of for that next step, investing in coaches. So, you know, when I reflect back, 
Um, everything from my first coach who took me in the weight room to that one time, you know, he guided me for guided me for years as I got started. When I was in college, I leaned on a couple of professors a little bit more heavily who were truly invested in helping, you know, in helping me be able to work with the sports teams. Once I got out of there, when I was looking for jobs and working in a more structured gym environment, it was who's already working with the type of athletes or the type of people that I want to be able to work with and then making sure I'm in there. So it's an incubator for exactly what I want to do. Um, as it comes into the online business component more so, you know, I had a number of big time mentors. So one is John Goodman. He runs the Personal Trainer Development Center, which is more or less the biggest personal trainer development site in the world. Um, so getting a start with him and, and really being on the groundwork with where online training started taking off was absolutely huge. And from there it became, you know, who else has maybe worked with my mentor that's having great results and maybe in a different area. So I worked with uh, John Romanello, who's a New York Times bestselling author. who has been a mentor to me for years. Uh, Vince Del Monte, who's, you know, been absolutely huge in terms of digital products, so on and so forth. It's just been a, an evolution of consistently hiring somebody who has a skill set that they've already mastered that I do not have and being able to learn from them. Because we can learn from people who are already at that next level from where you are. They don't necessarily need to be five levels above, but even one level. It allows you to take those same skill sets. It allows you to build them up quicker, and it gives you more confidence and more of a network along the way. Hmm. How do you personally determine like what skill set you are currently searching for? Like, How do you look at your business, look at whatever you're going through, and figure out, like, okay, what's the next step that I need to take? Yeah. So for me, I mean, there's some things that I just look at and I'm like, there's no way in hell I'm going to be able to pick that up or I'm going to be able to invest it. I'm going to try to hire somebody to do that. Mm -hmm. um, so for me, like that would be, you know, some of my social media work in terms of paid traffic. I'm like, you know what? I don't have time to deal with all these metrics and all these different aspects and split test 87,000 different things. <laughs> somebody else can do that. I can write the copy, uh, but I go from there. So generally what I do is I look at a particular skill that is going to be important for my business. And then instead of kind of going from maybe um, mindset training to copywriting to sales and hopping around all these different things and going from one book to the next. I like to pick one topic and I'll give myself a solid quarter each year in mm -hmm. going very deep on it. So um, at this point right now, I guess we're just kind of wrapping up Q1. I've been focusing a lot on my copywriting. So I've got a copywriting coach. I'm getting a number of different newsletters there. Pretty much everything that I'm taking in in terms of information is predicated around marketing messaging, around copywriting and being able to apply that, you know, both to social media, both to email marketing. When I do that, I'm able to go, you know, inch wide and a mile deep. And I retain that information so much better than going from, say, copywriting to driving traffic to, uh, to performing on video to podcasting. Um, I think it's always important to focus in, master one area, and then you build up these skills on, on a much greater level. Absolutely. So you mentioned hiring out. At this point in time, do you have a consistent team? Do you work with VAs or what does your structure look like as far as people goes? Yeah, I've got a consistent team, um, you know, got a kind of a director of operations for both my B2B company and my fitness company. So those really take care of a lot of the day-to-day -day actions as well as a coach who works underneath me in the fitness industry um, and then another VA. Um, on top of that, you know, we have a stable of different folks that, that we truly trust in terms of people who are going to be traffic buyers for us, people who are going to do graphic design. Uh, those aren't full-time on staff, but sure. more or less if I have a project, Hey, you know what? I'm, I'm probably hitting them up a couple of times a month for something, whether it's a new lead magnet, an ebook, a guide, something like that. Um, and, and really, you know, building those people out just comes from a lot of trial and error. But first, having that network on the front end. So if you're investing in coaches, who do they trust? Who do they know? And, um, and really building those out and testing them for yourself. Because when you find people who can do something at a, at a, at a you know, respectable price, but do so much faster and a much higher quality than you, that's how you save and buy your time back, which allows you to build these higher leverage skills over time. 
Exactly, exactly. When was the first time that you decided to to bring somebody on to do something in your business? Like, what was the first thing that you decided to outsource or, or to bring somebody on for? Yeah, for me, it was uh, it was editing. Um, you know, so when I really got involved with the fitness industry, this was huge in terms of blogging before video has really grown over the last few years of podcasting. Um, so for me, it was you know I can put you know I, I can talk science, I can do all that stuff very easily, uh, but obviously just talking scientific research and you know spinal anatomy is not going to get a lot of people directly into your world <laughs> because that's not going to reach anybody except for other practitioners. So you know, for me, working with an editor who can help me consolidate that message who could more or less help me optimize the way that I'm pitching to different people and, and really build my network that way. Save me so much time because they've been in that place before. Uh, so that was the first thing that I did and it really allowed me to, you know, create more content while they would put the finishing touches on everything. And then we could easily create a pitch, which would obviously get us more press on the back end and help us grow the business that way. Mm. Absolutely. That's the truth. And it's all about finding those like mutually beneficial partnerships where like somebody can do something like you said, better than you and at a higher quality than you. And it's not going to use up your time because you can pay them. And it's just gonna, it's, it's just, it's a beautiful thing when it really works out like that. <laughs> yeah, 100%. It takes a little bit of time and it definitely takes, you know, some courage and guts to know that, you know, you're putting money out and might not see the ROI on a front end, but you know, that's part of business as well. And that was something that, that I really struggled with in the beginning was like, okay, oh man, I got to spend money on this. I can't bootstrap everything. Uh, but once, you know, once those things start to snowball and you start to be able to have more time and obviously profits will follow, um, it's really the best thing that you can do to grow a business and retake some of your freedom if you've been working at Hustle Grind 24-7. You Absolutely. know, it's out. So, so when it comes to, to thinking about risks and thinking about like bootstrapping your business versus like doling out some money to like bring some of the people on board. How do you, how do you think about like taking risks in your business? What does that process look like for you? Yeah, for me, you know what, um, when it comes to risk, especially, you know, especially, you know, with your audience and, and how young some, so many of us are in terms of getting started. Cause I got started with the business and, you know, when I was 18, 19 years old, yeah. you know, I was risk averse and in hindsight, um, I've gotten more aggressive the longer I've been around because frankly, the younger that you start with anything, the more risk you can tolerate because you're going to have more time to be able to a overcome any any negative aspect of the risk, which isn't very likely if you you know talk to the right people. Um, so for me, I, I believe in the beginning, it's all about being aggressive in, in terms of trying to build things out and to be able to get good people behind you because it's going to allow you to narrow down your focus, narrow down your skill set, where you can truly become an expert. And then surround yourself with other experts who are going to be able to help build you up faster. Um, obviously, I know it's, like I said, it's scary, you know, when you're starting to pay people for the first time and, and investing these different things. But, you know, money invested in the front end is going to let those skills snowball, snowball and grow. And you'll be way ahead of everybody else in the long term. That's the truth. Now, when you think about connecting with experts, um, when you were starting off, were you doing that mostly online? Were you going to in-person events? What did that process look like for you? Yeah, it was a little bit of both. You know, I would go to events and try to see um, and, and really try to see where other experts that I was already following, where were they going? You know, mm -hmm. if I can get in the same room with those individuals and just say, hey, you know what? You've been extremely inspirational for me. I really appreciate this, this and this. And uh, I just want to be here to, you know, say hello. And maybe in the future, I can write something for you, provide some value. So it all came from a place of, of trying to provide more value to these individuals. Uh, really, for me, when it came down to where my where my website grew and, and where my brand grew, it was a lot of writing. So, you know, different fitness publications and magazines. And, you know, there's one big magazine that I was reading a lot and they had a ton of the best authors that are out there and the best coaches in the world. So my process was, okay, all these guys are on T Nation here. They have their own individual blogs and then they have people who write for those blogs. So my thought process would be, okay, let's just reverse engineer this. 
if I can help the people who are helping the people who are on the big blogs, <laughs> then I can start to make my way up that ladder instead of more or less, you know, going for that top dog right away. Mm -hmm. So, you know, could I more or less kind of build my network here, build it up to that next level. And then once I'm, you know, publishing on the websites of these other authors who are already on these major websites, I know that the editors are already looking at their content and that's where it's easy to make an introduction. So it's a matter of stair-stepping my way up these relationships and not necessarily going for the industry top head honcho right away, but who's providing assistance to them? How can I build that network first so I can get a, so I can get an introduction, you know, because a, a well-timed introduction and being able to have people vouch for you on the front end is exponentially more important than you just sliding up in someone's DMs and saying, Hey, <laughs> guess what? I've got X, Y, and Z product. You want it? You know, it's, it's a much smoother transition. It's a much more authentic way to build relationships. And that's really what, what all these businesses are, are built on, you know, over the long term. Absolutely. And it comes down to like looking at those circles of influence, like you said, because you've got like all these different circles, you've got to figure out how you can break into one. And then that one is going to lead you to the next one and the next one. And just figuring out like where is kind of like the weakest link, but also like the, the easiest way to get in to that circle of people who are talking and eventually like stairs up, like you said, your way up to that place that you eventually want to get to. Yeah, exactly. So if we wanted to take this and look at maybe going to an event, it could be, okay, you know who the speakers are. Let's say these speakers that are most likely the, the top dogs of whatever event. Sure. Who, who are they having conversations with? You know, maybe on the side. Great. Those would be the people you want to start having a conversation with. And maybe, you know, that speaker is going to come over there and they're going to engage in that conversation as well. That's the time to make an introduction because you made a great impression on, uh, on the other group, so to speak. But being able to build your way up and, and show these relationships just gets you in a lot of doors in the future. You know, I can, some of the weirdest like experiences that I, I've had have been where speakers or people who are more or less like on that next level came down and said, Hey, what's going on, Eric? I really appreciate your work. And I had no idea that they read anything, but it's because I made those relationships with people who are below them. Again, you know, it's find those spheres of influence and find those individuals and being able to provide a lot of value. And then, you know, that's going to get you in the right people in front of the right people. That's the truth. Yeah. Moments like that are surreal when you just like, you've been looking up yeah. somebody for so long and they just like know who you are. It's like, what? Like, how did that happen? But yeah, those yeah. are, and it's, it's all about, like you said, building that sphere of influence and um, being able to create value for people and, and make a good impression on them is, is, is huge. Like that reputation is, is literally everything. It really so, is. It really is. Eric, talk to us now, talk to like the, I don't know, 18, 19, 20 year old uh, person who wants to get into the fitness space because you got into the space at a young age. What would you either have done differently or like what advice would you give somebody who's just starting off young person who wants to start building a name for themselves in the, in the fitness space? Yeah. You know, the fitness space is an interesting one because it's, it's constantly changing and it's become so much more part of our culture, even than when I started. Yeah. Um, I would say, yeah, honestly, the most important thing is to first and foremost, truly become an expert, whether that means being an expert in terms of the individuals you're helping and the network that you're building or, and, or in terms of your physique and what you truly know about yourself. Hmm. Um, you know, I, you know, the fitness industry more than other industries, at least at this point, because it's you know still fairly young, fitness really only became started becoming popular or mainstream at all seventies, eighties. Um, you know, it's still more or less a, we like to say like a young person's game, but with that said, that's going to change. And I think really what's coming around with the marketing is we see marketing kind of go in these different cycles where, you know, we have people that are maybe doing way too much, you know, MLM type work and trying to do quick fixes in a way to try to get a quick buck. Uh, you're going to be much better off by truly becoming an expert. So, you know, working with others who are already servicing the audience that you want to be able to help, truly getting to know and understand the human body, coming from a perspective of not trying to make money, coming from a perspective of truly just trying to provide a solution to a particular problem. I think far too often now, I'm seeing a lot of young folks that are coming in directly into the, uh, the fitness industry and, you know, they want to start, you know, becoming influencers right away and trying to, you know, 
monetize everything rather than actually building the credibility long-term that's going to help them sustain in the industry. So I think that's something that, that really needs to take a focus. And if you do it correctly, it's going to pay off so much more. So it's somewhat of a process of trying to avoid some of the immediate gratification that you can get from maybe getting sponsorships and all this stuff, you know, right in the beginning and really building out the foundational skills. Um, I always like to say this in terms of, you know, physique training and stuff like that, but you know, the bigger the base of a pyramid dictates how high the pyramid can go. And that base of the pyramid, you know, maybe in terms of, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, health and health and fitness is quality sleep, regular exercise, quality food. In terms of business, it's knowing your, what the solution that you need to provide for your clients is. It's being able to speak their language. It's being able to create the systems that you need in your business to consistently generate cash flow and provide a high-level service to people. If you try to go for the high-level tactics right away without that foundation, you're building on top of a faulty foundation and you're really going to limit what you can do long term. So I think that perspective is something that I started to learn more so in my mid twenties. I wouldn't wish I would have even had more foresight than I did, but it's something that I really see lacking now, especially 18, 19, 20 year olds who are just looking to get into the industry. So what are some of the things listeners should be doing to establish that, that solid base? I mean, like you said, like, like, looking at your own body and making sure you fully understand like the systems and processes that are going on. But like, what are some, what are some other things our listeners could be doing to really establish that solid foundation? Yeah, I think, you know, it really comes from in the fitness industry. It comes from working with and accepting a bunch of different philosophies and trying to see how these all tie into things, you know, especially in fitness, people get very dogmatic. There's so many different diets and sometimes it's borderline religion for some individuals, which that's completely fine. But if you take an overly dogmatic approach in one area, the next time the cycle shifts and your business is predicated on one diet style, mm. you know, then more or less, you know, where's your credibility, so to speak. That, that's what tends to happen. So, you know, in terms of fitness, right, we've seen so many different cycles from, uh, from paleo being a huge rise to intermittent fasting to keto. These are all things that have happened before. And if you base your entire business around just one philosophy and then you start to see how these things tend to cycle, it, it tends to lead to really big, you know, high peaks and low valleys. So I think being able to understand and being able to discern maybe N equals one and what works for you versus what can work for other people, um, taking a critical look at marketing and at research when it comes in, instead of just, you know, seeing what this message is and saying it's the only way to do it and practicing, experiencing, and, and sometimes saying, you know what, I don't know. This is what I'm trying right now. It seems to work for these people, but not these people. Let me find out the correct answer for you. Um, sometimes that's not the best marketing advice because, Generally, good marketing says, you know, stay in a strong position, be polarizing if you have to. It's mm -hmm. not always the best when it comes to health and fitness, especially long term, because if you completely pigeonhole yourself into one area, like I said, when those trends change, or maybe if you're proven incorrect, you know, your business can lose a lot of respect and a lot of authority pretty quickly. Hmm. So how do you sort of balance between um, having like a niche? Because I mean, obviously you don't want to, well, well, maybe you do want to try to serve everyone. I don't know what your current stance on this is, but like, how do you think about like the having a niche versus like pigeonholing yourself into like some kind of trend? Yeah. You know, I think it's important to understand where working with a particular niche works mm -hmm. depending on the trend. I think, I think it's one thing to have. So let's, I'll use my business for an example. Sure. My niche, busy, busy professionals. Most of my, most of my audience, the 22 to 45 busy professionals. I know that's kind of big, but that's mm -hmm. still really where we are. Sure. Um, but typically, you know, fairly well educated, do have some experience in terms of working out, but a hectic schedule is the number one thing that really makes it difficult for them to do it consistently. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to diet advice, one thing we practice quite a bit is intermittent fasting. So that's a niche and it's something that can be a trend, 
But the way that we position is, hey, you know what? This works for a lot of people, but it's not going to work for everyone. And here's why. And when we tie in the here's why, we're educating our clients. We're educating the people that follow us. And when you can educate people and help them understand why something does work and do it in a clear cut and concise fashion, which is, you know, that's, that's the battle, that's when people start to become empowered, right? Right now, more than any other time in sales and marketing and products, you know, a small business can disrupt a big business. A message can change. Or, you know, if something does change and maybe you haven't been doing things ethically, it can crater you faster than anything in the world, right? So when it comes to this perspective, being able to educate your clients and say, hey, you know what? This is really how this benefits people and how this can benefit you. But this is where it might not work for you or somebody else in a different situation. That's when you can build respect. That's when you can build authority. And that's really when people are going to trust your brand long-term and make it something sustainable. Hmm. 100%, 100%. So at this point in time, are you, you still have the B2C side of your business, correct? Yeah. Okay. How do you think about balancing your time, energy, attention, and focus between the B2C and B2B side of things? Uh, for me, you know, my biggest thing, I'm going to grab my journal right now, but sure. you know, got, you know, this is just my, my daily journal. And essentially what we have, on the side, I guess I've got it open for tomorrow, not even today's, but um, we have more or less time blocks and I block down everything what I'm going to be doing from the moment I wake up until the evening. And for me, that's the only way I can keep track of, you know, multiple businesses going on, different projects, podcasts, writing, servicing clients, client phone calls, sales, all of that stuff. So for me, I tend to break my day into 90 minute work blocks. Hmm. Uh, if I can get three or four high quality, very focused work blocks in golden, even if I get two in, I can generally get a lot more work in than, um, than five or six hours of unfocused stuff because I got too much music going on in the background. Uh, so for me, it's all about aligning what I need to do. So I pick out three most important tasks that I need to do each and every single day. And I put those into work blocks. Generally speaking, the creative work that I have to do is going to be earlier in the day. Um, big reason for that being say, if you have to write, if you, if you have to create content and then you let, wait till the evening, it's much more likely that, uh, you're fatigued at that point. Maybe you've gone to class all day. You've worked a full day you're more likely to throw in a towel and say, uh, you know what, I'm just going to do it tomorrow. So, you know, I found out right away that that was me. And if I didn't do it right away when I got up, there's a good chance I was leaving future growth to chance. Um, so for me, it's all about, again, that organizational component and doing the three most important tasks that I can and doing my creative work early in the day. Hmm. How far ahead do you, do you structure your weeks or is it something that you do like day before? Uh, you know, generally speaking, I'll take I'll, kind of Saturday or Sunday, I'll kind of break down, hey, this is what's going on this week. This is really what we need to prepare for unless there's a big project that comes up, you know, once a quarter or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, and I'll just kind of write down everything and get a rough structure. Uh, but the number one thing that I do before my workday ends is I'll take 15 minutes and I'll plan on my next day. Hmm. So, you know, what do I have for phone calls? What are the, you know, the projects I need to work on? And having that 15 minutes literally saves me hours the next day because I'm sure you've been in this situation. I know I have is you get like halfway through your day, you're like, wait, so I still have this to do, this to do, this to do, this to do. I have no idea where to even start. I'm going to take the next hour to get started. And then by that time, you've lost half your motivation and another hour worth of time. Um, so for me, it's like 15 minutes on the back end is going to make me so much more productive during the next day before the chaos hits. That's, that's so very true. And like, if I don't go into a day with a very solid game plan of like, this is what I'm going to do today, I can just, my entire day can be run by like Instagram and like all the DMs that come oh, in yeah. or like my VA is just hitting me up and saying like, this is going wrong. This is going wrong. And like your day can just run you if you don't make a plan of like, okay, this is what I need to do today. This is when I'm going to do it. And this is how I'm going to do it. Yeah, hundred percent. It's, it's, it's unreal when you think about it, you know, it's like, Oh, I, I thought I had a little bit more discipline. Wait, <laughs> no, never mind. I've got a million different things going on and, and different things to answer. So 
yeah, it's, um, it all comes down to that organization on the, on the front end. And if you can stick to that and at least control the chaos or, you know, at least control what you're doing in the morning, controlling the chaos later in the day is fine because you budgeted it into your day already. Hmm. So when it comes to discipline, what would you tell a younger listener about really establishing both like their focus and really just their ability to stay on course for whatever they're currently working on? You know, the biggest thing I would say was get down to why you actually want to do this and not just on a surface level, but like, what is like, how is this truly going to impact you or help you impact more people and truly understand what that causes as an example, looking at fitness, right? Uh, I want to get abs. That's great. But you know, why do you want to get abs? How is it actually going to help you? You know, just having abs isn't really going to do anything. It's how those abs are going to make you feel. It's the confidence that you have. It's being able to know you can, you know, take your shirt off at the beach or a pool and feel confident in your skin and to stand in front of the mirror in the morning and feel proud of what you did instead of like, shit, why did I eat all those Doritos and drink seven beers last <laughs> night? You know? So it's being able to get down and do some of that deep work. That's really going to help you get to that position. And then honestly, when it comes to, when it comes to discipline, when it comes to motivation, I think it's accepting that sometimes it's going to suck. Um, you know, something I've, I've gone back and forth on quite a bit because with fitness stuff, I tend to have a lot of people ask me, Hey, how do you stay motivated? How do you do this? And I just bring it to them straight. Like, you know what? A lot of times I'm not motivated, but when I get up in the morning, if it's five in the morning, if it's four in the morning, a lot of times what I tell myself is I know that my competitors are not doing this. And that's what gets me going personally. Uh, but I think every person is going to be a little bit different when it does come to that motivation. So whether you need to be able to read something, you know, some or watch a, watch a YouTube video that's going to have some motivational, you got to find what that is for you. And you have to put that into your day each and every single day. But for me, you know, I just go back to, you know, feeling like the small guy, feeling like I was going to get ran over on a football field and how much pain that kind of put me in. And then knowing that if I do the work that other people are unwilling to do, I'm going to have what they're unwilling to do. And I will not have to experience that pain again. Hmm. So uh, that's just kind of what gets, what gets to me. But again, I just think you can get in that mindset where, Hey, you know what? I know other people are willing to do this. And because I'm willing to, you know, maybe go a little bit less on the sleep or change my structure and be a little bit more disciplined that I'm going to be able to have all these other things that I want later on. Like that's enough to get me going. So when it comes to that deep work and, and really having those like 90 minute work box, like you said, how do you deal with distractions? Because I mean, in, in 2019, there's just so many things that are constantly vying for our attention, especially as young people. I mean, we're, we're virtually like glued to our smartphones at all times, scrolling through Instagram, Facebook, like literally anything that you can scroll through. How do you think about distractions and how do you deal with distractions in, in your life? Yeah. So, you know, when it comes to the work blocks, I'll actually set timers. So I've got, uh, I've got, you know, I've got an hourglass that I do that goes for about an hour. Um, so I'll use that up on the shorter work block or I'll use e.ggtimer.com. And that's just a, a timer that goes off and the buzzer hits, you know, when you have those time limits, you know, you can get a lot more work done. It's like when you have to cram for a project or mm -hmm. cram for an exam, you're going to get it done. Um, when you have that sense of urgency versus something that could be two or three weeks out. So I leverage that. That helps me really stay focused. When it comes to blocking distractions, I use an app self-control. Um, you can block different websites directly on. So I do that on my Mac. Uh, when it comes to my phone, honestly, I'll turn it off and I'll put it in a different room. Yep. Otherwise I know it's just going to be an issue. Um, generally, I have, I believe all the notifications on my phone are silent, except for when I know that I have phone calls and stuff like that going on. Mm -hmm. Simply if I'm reactive to everything else, I know I'm not going to go be able to be creative, to be you know proactive in terms of creating something of value that's going to build my business going forward and help more people. Um, so that those are a couple things. I also use a website blocker directly. I think it's just called website blocker on my phone. Uh, so that helps quite a bit. So, you know, if I want to start searching the web or doing whatever, that's fine. And uh, at times when I really have to go into monk mode, I will delete apps off my phone. Yep. Um, sometimes for, for weeks at a time. 
And uh, it's not always great, but you know, again, you got to make those sacrifices if you want to be able to focus and put in that deep work. And it's about, you know, knowing what's going to get you distracted and try to remove that directly from your, you know, from your environment. Exactly. And yet it really is all about like auditing your environment. Cause like, I know personally, like I, I could try to resist the temptation to like use Instagram or like use Facebook or like scroll through stuff. But like, I would rather just remove the option entirely. Like I would rather just remove it from my environment that I don't have to use my willpower to like resist myself from, from exactly (laughs) because like, I mean, I only have like so much like energy and and motivation and willpower in a day. Like I'm not going to waste that, like trying to keep myself off Instagram when I can just like remove that temptation entirely and then just not have to worry about it. Exactly. Exactly. You got to set yourself up for success. You know, it's, uh, again, if I want to relate it back to fitness, like, Hey, you know what, if I have Oreos in the house, especially the double stuffed ones, they're going down the hatch. So (laughs) If I do not put those in a house, it's going to take a lot more effort for me to get in my car, drive to the grocery store, grab the double stuffed Oreos. And by that time, I'll have a conscious thought that's going to be like, why the hell are you driving to the grocery store at 1030 at night to just get double stuffed <laughs> Oreos? It doesn't make sense. So again, you know, same thing, right? Being able to remove those temptations is really what's going to help you maintain that willpower and maintain that focus. 100%. So bouncing back to your slogan that you mentioned at the very top of the episode, um, could you just remind our listeners what that slogan is? Yeah, we help busy people look great naked without living in the gym. Okay, so I, the I, the look great naked part was something that really like got me intrigued. And the part that I sort of want to dive into there is like the confidence aspect of things. Because a lot of people that I talk to, a lot of people that, that message me, um, sort of seem like they, they have a significant lack of confidence at a young age. They don't feel like they're, they're ready to take this next leap. They don't feel like they're ready to produce content. They don't feel like they're ready to like speak to people. So talk to, talk to the younger listener now about building that confidence. It doesn't necessarily have to be in fitness. It definitely can be. But like, what are, are some of the pillars or like the, the foundational aspects of building confidence that, that you would say are important for a younger listener to really internalize? Yeah, really, I think it comes back to, you know, it comes back to being able to do maybe what other people are not willing, you know, so if it's fitness and getting up earlier and doing that training, that's fine. If it's, if it's getting up earlier to study different metrics, or, you know, read some more books and truly becoming an expert on a subject, I believe that's really what gives you the confidence, putting in the work in terms of whatever you want to become an expert in, or whatever you want to build confidence in, is really the key to feeling confident when it comes to speaking that message. So if you're trying to learn a new market and you're in a new business, you know, being able to know maybe what your demographics are and understanding what that is. If you're trying to go into real estate, understanding the neighborhoods, understanding, you know, what any HOA fees would be, what school systems look like, understanding what those components would be and knowing them well is going to give you confidence when it comes to talking to people directly. Again, it just comes down to putting in that work on the front end. And eventually you're going to have to accept the fact that you have to jump out there a little bit and you do have to expose yourself to you know, to failing. Uh, I can't tell you how many times I've failed in, in things that I thought I was confident in, that I was incorrect, but because I've been willing to fail, I've, I also understand that as part of the game. And when you do understand that, it's like, great, you know what? I'm going to come back better the next time. And I learn something. Um, you know, I think a lot of times this fear of failure is really what undermines our confidence. And one thing I always, I always tell myself and I tell my clients that, you know, every time you do have a failure, it's a lesson, you know, it's a lesson. So if you can flip that into a positive and be like, awesome, you know what, this didn't work out the way that I wanted to, but I learned something extremely valuable today. That's an incredible way for you to just continue to stay at it and continue to stay persistent. And uh, if you have that perspective, you know, whether you're scared to put yourself out there on social media, um, you know, generally it's not going to be as bad as you would think. It's uh, it's something you're going to be able to listen you're going to be able to learn. You're going to be able to adapt. You're going to be able to grow. Um, But stepping outside that comfort zone is, you know, paradoxically, paradoxically, what's going to help you build that confidence. 
Absolutely. And like, for me, it really just comes down to like looking at the worst case scenario. And like, when I'm like, what's the worst case scenario if I post this YouTube video, like someone's going to leave me a comment that says like, I'm stupid. Like, I don't care. Like, and just like being yeah. realistic with yourself because a lot of times people get in their heads about like, Oh, this could happen. That could happen. But like, think about like, actually, like what is the actual worst case scenario of you taking this action? And, and nine times out of 10, it's not that bad. And if it is bad, like think about how you can mitigate that. Like what actions can you take to make sure that that worst case scenario is not like a terrible thing and, and is something that you could recover from and learn from and, and take with you and, and sort of fail forward. Exactly. Exactly. Fail forward. I absolutely love that term. And it's, you know, again, I think the willingness to, to accept that failure is part of the game and just putting yourself out there is really the number one thing that's holding a lot of people back from the value that they want to be able to put out in the world, you know, with whatever business, with whatever venture that they truly want to be able to build. And again, sometimes just taking that step, giving it a small test, and then just kind of gradually going a little bit higher is what's going to be better, you know, um, in terms of perspective. I don't know how you personally feel every time you like you do a podcast or a video, but you know, every time still when I put something out, I still have like that 1% that's like, Oh, what if this doesn't work? Or what if this is taken the wrong way? Um, so it's still that same, you know, aspect and that feeling, but now I understand that eh, it's not great. Whatever. We'll change it and yeah. we'll get better. And you know, we'll just fail less the next time. <laughs> that's the truth. Eric, I've got some questions that I like to ask all of my guests before we wrap up the show. Are you feeling ready for them? Let's do it. Awesome. The first thing that I'm curious about is what is something that genuinely has you excited right now? This could be in your business, in the wider realm of the world, but like, what is something that genuinely has you fired up? You know, honestly, it's just been, um, it's been able to bring more people on, you know, onto my team. Um, you know, traditionally I always try to bite off more than I can chew thinking I'm Superman and can do it forever. <laughs> and now the fact that I've owned the fact that that's not the case and I brought more people on to be able to help. And, you know, obviously it's, it's incredible being able to provide them with something as well and some more structure and obviously income, so on, you know, into their lives. Uh, but it also helps me understand that, you know what, I really could have pulled back into these different areas a little bit sooner. And that if I really focus on a few key tasks, I can still make a major impact with more people and continue to grow this business and just wanting to be able to apply that to greater and greater extents going forward and being able to focus on those essential few. Absolutely. Absolutely. Eric, what habits do you have that have served you particularly well? These could be in your business, in your lifestyle, but like what are the things you do on a regular basis to help you get to that next level? Yeah. Biggest thing for me is, you know, I get up early, uh, generally up about five and I start my day either reading, even if it's 10 or 15 minutes, just so I'm getting some good high quality knowledge in. Um, and then it goes down right into working into a creative block. If I do something where I create every single day, even if it's only 90 minutes, I'm happy. Hell, even if it's 30 minutes, you know? So if I know I focus on that on a regular basis, I'm taking one proactive step, no matter what, that's going to be able to build my business going forward because it's providing value to the people who need it the most. Mm, absolutely. It's all about getting those wins early in the day because like that just gets you, at least me, motivated for the rest of the day. Because like if I wake up and I'm just like off my game, if I don't get anything done in like the first hour of the day, the whole day just feels thrown off for me because I'm like, wow, like I haven't really done anything yet today. Whereas if I've yeah. done something extremely productive right away, I'm like, dang, I'm like on top of it. I'm like killing it. I'm doing all this stuff already. And the day has just started. So I think that's really, really important. Yeah, definitely. I, I know that same exact feeling. You wake up, you're like, ah, and you get off your, you know, your habits for a little bit. And you're like, oh, come on. I feel like it's two o'clock. I've done nothing. Yeah. Uh, so if you can avoid that by kind of bite the bullet early in the day, you know, eat the biggest frog, so to speak, yep. you want to go Brian Tracy route, you know, you're going to be very happy with the result, with the results long-term. That's the truth. Uh, Eric, I know you're putting out a lot of content right now, but is there any content that you are currently consuming, whether that be books, audiobooks, podcasts? I know you said you like to read in the mornings. Yeah, I've got, um, 
where is it? Oh, yep. This is marketing by Seth Gunn. You know, always, uh, always a good choice. Um, I've got a number of different copywriting books right now. I'm taking a course with Alexander Mullen. Uh, he dives deep into, uh, into more imagery, which is something very fun to tie into your, uh, to your writing, into your copy. It's a great way to tell stories and get people yeah. to consume your content without necessarily feeling like, um, you know, they're just reading a dry post on yeah. spinal mechanics or whatever <laughs> else is going on. So, um, so that's really been what I've been focusing on. Um, you know, a number of different podcasts, you know, audiobooks at any given time, pretty much whenever I'm in my car or I'm walking my dog or I'm outside, I've got an audiobook of some sort going on. And, um, you know, a lot of times it's not necessarily consuming new information. Hmm. It's maybe taking some of the classic books and continuing to go back through them. Uh, I really love Ryan Holiday's work. I think most of his books I've probably read or listened to five or six times over the last two years alone. Wow. So um, I think sometimes it comes back to looking at some of the classic texts that are in a particular genre or market and getting to know those few extremely well, rather than always getting a million different opinions and different things that are clouding your view and making it more difficult to take action. That's very true. That's very true. Eric, I'm always curious what my guests do that doesn't scale. So give you a quick example here. I'll pull out my smartphone every day um, and I'll go to my new followers on Instagram and I'll pick like five to 10 people just pretty randomly. And I'll just shoot them a quick video message that says, Hey Eric, how's it going? My name's Apple. Thank you so much for the follow. Let me know how I can help you out in any way, shape or form. Have a wonderful day. Something super simple like that. Um, but just a way to introduce myself to new people who have gotten um, exposed to me in some way. And um, basically just, just let them know that like, I'm here for them. Um, is there anything that you do in your business that isn't super scalable? Like obviously I could bring on one of my VAs, just like send those out all day, but that's not what I choose to do. I want to keep it very personal. So is there anything for you that has that personal, like Eric Bach touch to it? Yeah. I mean, a number of things. I mean, if we want to look even, you know, big at the, at the coaching program, I'm still working with a lot of people directly rather than just having my coaches, you know, do all the work. So the majority of people, you know, they come because they want to work with, with Eric more so than, than just the brand. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm still working with those, even though it's not the most scalable thing to do, you know, with my business, you know, I could obviously, I can say, Hey, you know what, this is another great coach of mine. You can go work with him. And then, you know, I, I get a profit off of that. But, you know, for me, truly staying in the game and understanding what my clients want is going to help me put up better content. It's going to help me reach more people and understand, you know, what I need to continue to do to improve as a coach as well. Um, and then again, some of the social media interaction, I can bring on other people and have them do uh, Q and a sessions. I've got one going on, on my Instagram right now. Um, you know, I could have people that are interacting in my Facebook groups, but I think having that authentic connection is really what's truly important. I think the videos that you do, I mean, Hey, that's, that's what caught my attention. And, uh, you know, being able to really relate to people and know that you're not just some brand that's out there and truly a person looking help is what, what's going to help you stand out. Absolutely. Eric, you've been dropping so much value on our listeners today. Where can they go if they want to follow up with you, learn more about you and what you're currently up to right now? Yeah, best place to go would be Instagram. So at Bach Performance, it's B-A-C-H, performance. Uh, no relation to Johann Sebastian Bach, unfortunately, <laughs> at least that I know of. Um, otherwise, if you want to go on to BachPerformance.com, that is our, our website right there. Feel free to opt in. Uh, we'll send tons of high quality stuff to you on a regular basis. And at any point, just reach out on either one of those platforms and I'm more than happy to chat with you. Awesome. Eric, thank you again so much for your time and choosing to spend it here on Young Smart Money. I'll be sure to link up all of those in the show notes below this episode as well for our listeners to check out um, as easily as possible. Do you have any last closing thoughts, words of wisdom that you want to close out the show with here today? Yeah, biggest thing, if you want to be able to have what other people are, or if you want to be able to have something that most people don't have, you got to be willing to pay the price to make that sacrifice on the front end. If you're already here, if you're listening to the podcast, you're in a great situ situation to do so. Just stay consistent, stay at it. And this is a game of pers persistence and perseverance. And those who stay in the game providing value the longest are those that make the businesses that are going to have the true impact down the road. Mm, preach on it. Eric, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And I appreciate you choosing to spend it here on Young Smart Money. Hey, thank you for having me. 
Well, I hope you guys enjoyed this latest episode of Young Smart Money and got a ton of value out of it. If you did, do not forget to subscribe to the podcast. It only takes about five seconds. If you're walking the dog, if you're going to the gym, pull that phone out of your pocket, press that subscribe button, and uh, drop us some love in the ratings and review sections as well. Those really do help the podcast get in front of even more people and helps us get even more amazing guests on the show. And I do read each and every one of your ratings, reviews, message that you send me. Uh, they, they really do impact me and the show and show me exactly what you want to be seeing here on Young Smart Money. So again, do not forget to drop us a rating, review, and subscribe over in iTunes. And guys, have a wonderful day. Take care. And I really do appreciate you choosing to spend your time here with us on Young Smart Money. Have a wonderful day. Real quick, just launched a new project called the Online Course Examiner, basically the Yelp of online courses. It is blowing up lately. OnlineCourseExaminer.com. Check it out.